everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. Really, our job, especially on a site level, is to make it so easy that why wouldn't you buy it? And to the extent we can quell your paralysis of choice, that's really where we're focused right now, is really helping you design the space of your dreams digitally. When Christiane Lemieux was looking to sell her first company, she knew she wanted to find a buyer that understood that the future revolved around e-commerce. She found that buyer in Wayfair, and for the next few years, she worked with the company to cultivate as much knowledge about the e-com space as possible before venturing out on her own once more. Today, Christiane is the founder of The Inside and the author of numerous books, including her newest, called Frictionless. The idea of her new company and the book revolves around the concept that in order to have success in the world of e-commerce, you need to give your customers an experience that is so easy and efficient that they never have a reason not to buy. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Christian explains why that frictionless experience is so important and how to make it a reality. Enjoy this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Christiane, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, it's going really well, Stephanie. How are you doing? Doing great. So for all of our listeners, I want you to pronounce your own name since I did not do it this time. Uh, my name is Christiane Lemieux. Um, it's very French um, and, a, and a huge mouthful. So I, I completely give you a, a pass on that. Thank you for doing that. So I did not have to. So you are the founder <laughs> and CEO of The Inside, a direct-to-consumer home furnishing brand. I would love to hear yeah. a little bit about that and how you started it. Well, this is my second foray into the uh, the world of home furnishings. I started my first company. It was called Dwell Studio. Um, out of college, I went to uh, I went to university at, the, at Parsons School of Design here in New York, um, and I started a home furnishings brand um, from my New York apartment. And 13 years later, I sold it to uh, Wayfair. Cool. And you know, speaking of of uh, you know what's up next in commerce and yeah. and sort of the digital landscape. Part of the reason that I did that was that that I got to sort of the entrepreneurial fork in the road where I had never really raised money before. And I realized that if I was going to continue down the sort of growth trajectory that I was on, it would involve me opening more than the one store I had in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, it would involve me, you know, raising money for the first time, like substantial amounts of money for the first time to, to kind of roll out stores. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I sort of sat and thought for a very long time about the business model that I was on, that was growing, that I'd started. Um, and I realized that it didn't feel right to me and that I really believed that all businesses 
we're going to at some point um, in the in the near term or distant future transition to e-commerce. And what I wanted to figure out was who who could I either partner with or sell to that would be uh, that would understand that that sort of idea and and sort of philosophy. Mm-hmm. And so I I hired an investment bank in New York. Um, and they actually had me meet with a whole bunch of home purchase companies. Most of them you would probably know. But when I walked into Wayfair's office in Boston, you know, with 1,800 people and 800 engineers, I realized that, uh, that, that we were really aligned from a, from a sort of conceptual point of view in terms of what the future of, of you know, D2C looked like, direct-to-consumer looked like. Mm-hmm. And so um, it wasn't the best offer financially, but to me it was the best offer intellectually and philosophically. So I sold my business to Wayfair in 2013. And then I went on their executive committee. And I I mean, to say that it was a a learning was kind of, you know, would be, would be doing it a disservice. It was like a full immersion Mm -hmm. into e-commerce with one of the best teams in the country and by far the best team in my particular category. And so I learned so much from them. And as I was sitting there, I was like, what would make me start another business? Like it, what in the world after, you know, building one from the ground up and selling it, like yeah. it, what would I do? And so I realized that if I could take my first business, which is really design first and brand first, and then merge that into what I had learned at Wayfair from a, you know, digital commerce first perspective, that I might be crazy enough to do it again. Yeah. And, and, that's what I, and that's what I did. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Were there, so what were the key learnings that you took away from Wayfair and maybe the pitfalls that you saw where you're like, ooh, I should avoid that. Because when I was looking into Wayfair, I think they're uh, still very unprofitable. And so did you see things like that? And you're like, oh, if you just adjusted this part of the model or this part of logistics, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have to worry about that. Or what kind of things did you take away from that experience? So I would say there's almost nothing wrong with Wayfair. And I'm saying (laughs) that, I mean, I mean that honestly, first of all, Neeraj, their CEO is one of the you know, smartest uh, digital executives in in the country, if not the world. Um, I I think that, you know, he's very much following the uh, taking market share um, approach um, pioneered by Bezos, of Mm -hmm. course. And so I think Neeraj is very much on the same path. Like he will own the furniture category online um, and he will very quickly, um, if not even now, I mean, the last couple, the last quarter was insane for them because now we're all sheltering at home and need home goods in a, in a, in a very different way than we did maybe nine weeks ago. Yes. But, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll take market share and he will be very profitable and he'll own furnishings online. So I'm, I'm, there are other companies that have pursued that line of growth mm-hmm. um, that weren't necessarily as equipped as he is. And he's equipped to do that. Yeah. So I would, you know, I, as, as relevant as that is kind of in the post we work discussion, mm-hmm. I think in his particular case, he's already got the sort of groundwork done to be able to do that um, and do it fairly flawlessly. Yeah. I mean, they definitely still, they're the first company that comes to mind when I do think about buying furniture or looking for anything, even above yeah. Amazon and Walmart. I mean, they're the first yeah. ones I would go to. So yeah, agree. Well, also because they've got the best selection and they've also got the back end figured out. Yep. And so like they taught me things like overpack centers. Like I was like, what is an overpack center? And what so, <laughs> you know, they take home furnishings. Well, yeah. So they have, they have overpack centers where they take, um, they take in the goods from the manufacturers and they overpack them so they don't break. Okay. And, and by, by diminishing the, the, you know, the, the, the chance of something being damaged, 
not only do they make the customer experience better, which is of course really, you know, which is really necessary in this day and age, but they also, um, they also sort of, you know, ensure that their margins don't get completely depleted by goods that arrive um, damaged. Yeah. And so, you know, crucial. It's, it's not a, yeah, it's not a crazy thing to do, but at the end of the day, it's totally crucial. So, I mean, they learned, they, they taught me so much about, first of all, you know, uh, UX, uh, customer experience, and then, you know, the logistics and the profound necessity to really think about delivery in a way that is beyond just parcel delivery or white glove delivery. They really think about it from a kind of, kind of from a 360 perspective, um, all the way from, you know, margin protection to a really flawless customer experience. So I learned, you know, some of the things that you don't necessarily learn when you're building a design brand, um, I learned at Wayfair. So I, you know, I'm, I'm forever thankful. The difference is that they're like Amazon, they're a marketplace. And so largely they don't uh, design and produce their own SKUs or they, their own products. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't need to because th- that their value prop is that, you know, in, in, in COVID-19, when every single person in the country all of a sudden needed some kind of a home office and or home school, I mean, you went white to Wayfair and you ordered a desk. Yep. I mean, and it came to you perfectly, right? I wanted to take kind of the, the ideas of brand and design, but apply them, w- apply the sort of Wayfair rigor uh, uh, digital thought around how um, I executed this this next brand, and so some of the things like having no inventory, um, having exclusive product, having um, a three D uh, studio to do the photography, you know, drop ship largely drop ship the product. So instead of sending it through a more expensive white glove delivery, have uh, you know have it lightly assembled so that UPS or FedEx could do the delivery. And so all of these things add up to really beautiful customer service, um, exclusive custom product to the customer, and then um, you know margin improvements around delivery, around no inventory, around a decreased cost in uh, photo assets. So what I wanted to do is I, I challenged myself to think of all of the sort of substantial problems with the home furnishings business, solve them first, and then start the business. And so that, that's how I did it this time. That's super smart. So how long has the inside been operating and how's it doing today with everything going on? So um, I left Wayfair in 2016 um, and I called up my favorite supplier and she went into business with me um, on kind of a, a B2B beta way in a B2B beta way. Mm-hmm. And so we did that for close to two years. Um, and then I met um, the extraordinary Kirsten Green of Forerunner. Yep. Um, and she said to me, this is really interesting, Christiane, like, uh, why don't I write you a pre-seed check and you go figure it out? And so we came out of beta in July of 18. Um, and so we're a year and a half in and it's going very well. You know, it's going very well. I, I in, in, in the sort of pandemic, I did not have the sort of category breadth that Wayfair has, which made this kind of a, a very interesting business time for them, but enough of a product breath that I think that we're, you know, helping people improve their homes on a daily basis right now, which is, you know, what we, what we set out to do. So, and listen, I, I feel extraordinarily lucky that um, it's a digital first company. So I don't have stores. I have a very lean staff. 
we were working from a, a, a work a work co-share, which we closed down at the end of April. So we are going to be dispersed until at least the beginning of 2021. So we won't have an office. Um, and we can do all of this virtually. We hold no inventory. So we have no uh, warehouses. Essentially, we had to let go of two people just to, to preserve the sort of business. But we've, we've come through this, I think, as well as as you can like you know my my whole mo right now is making sure that nobody loses a job like really yep um because that's the scariest part of of all of this is yeah. the unemployment numbers i mean that just keeps me up at night i know yeah seeing how high they're trending stuff a bit scary was there any big digital pivots you had to make or that you made quickly when covid-19 started or right now well you know what i i think that um what we did, which I, I think that there are apparently um, from my digital marketing um, cohort or uh, p- people that we work with, there are three D2C areas that have, have done very well in this particular pandemic. I mean, this is our only pandemic, so this yep. pandemic, but is um, athleisure, mm-hmm. um, ho- home, and, um, and alcohol. So those three things have like had extraordinarily uh, extraordinary growth, yep. um, and so we we happen to be in one of those categories. I think one of the things that we did, which I think you know anybody in a in a kind of growth category in this particular you know time, we we stayed the course with marketing. So a lot of people cut their marketing, and what we're seeing is you know customer acquisition costs have come down. You know, a, a cost the cost for all of these uh, initiatives, these paid marketing initiatives across all the platforms have come down, and so we, we really leaned into that. Um, the, another interesting um, thing that sort of trend that's come out of this is not the digital marketing, but I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of people are doing direct mail. Direct mail yes. is seeing a huge resurgence. Um, d- you know, obviously depending on the category you're in, but um, people are home, yep, and they're reading their direct mail. Have you shifted so, into that space um, a bit? We're looking into it now. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That's great. When you were first building the inside, were there certain key technologies that you leaned on to build up the website or are there any favorites that you utilize? I mean, I saw you have quizzes on the website, which seem amazing. Like, is there mm-hmm. anything specific yep. where you're like, this is my favorite piece of tech we use or a plugin or how we build our website? Any details around that? So we actually had to build our site from the ground up. You know, which which is which is has, which has its challenges. Um, you know, one of the things that happened to us is that we were on a really uh, we were on a really new version of Java, and Google couldn't index our site in the beginning, so we had to do all kinds of you oh, know back end hacks to fix that. Yeah. But for like three weeks, we're like, why is our traffic so bad? And then we realized that like we weren't showing up at all. Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> yeah, so because of because of the, the sort of customizable aspect of our of our business, we had to build our own. Um, we had to build our own site from the from the bottom up, and you know that's given us the the ability to to keep growing our SKU count and keep allowing people to customize each and every one of the pieces. But yeah, I, I think that there's you know plugins. You know, everybody loves the Affirm or any kind of uh, you know extended extended payment plan. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, there are things that are so unbelievable, like Apple Pay and Amazon Wallet and all these things. If you don't have them, I mean, you're putting yourself at a huge disadvantage. Yep. I mean, they're not necessarily plug-in, plugins. They're more, you know, payment tools. But, you know, I, I think the name of the game now is, is, is what goes right to, the, to the, the core of my book is, is making the experience frictionless. And, you know, I mean this, like, I, this is philosophical, but I think if frictionless extends even beyond the sort of the digital aspect of our lives, 
people are used to getting what they want when they want at the price they want with the look they want because of, and I would say that Bezos might be the grandfather or the father of the frictionless experience. I mean, he, he changed the way we consume and, you know, buying, shopping, you know, whatever, sort of fundamentally. In the same way that Steve Jobs changed the way we think about media. I mean, Bezos changed the way we shop. Um, and so, and he made it frictionless for us. And he keeps doing, you know, he keeps going beyond because if you think about Amazon Prime, I mean, he made everything accessible to us in two days. I mean, not necessarily right now, but generally speaking. And so, and that, that just removes the friction from everything. And like philosophically, it's given us time back in our lives, right? And especially, you know, let's think about it as me as a mom, right? Like I never have to take two hours of my day to go to the toy store to get the Lego for my son William's, you know, friend Gray's birthday party ever. Like it gets delivered to my house. It it takes me no time. And that time that I get back, I mean, pre-COVID, you know, I think people were looking at there's a, there's a, the digital generation looks at time in a completely different way than the, the, the generation that preceded them, right? Yes, I um, agree. Because we, there, there is all of this found time. And I think the digital generation also understands that it is the only non-renewable um, resource, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, if you have money, you can throw it on almost anything, right? I mean, you can have a jab for a trainer or whatever, or if you're clever, um, and you have to be resourceful like me, uh, you know, you can find, I don't know, the meal delivery service or, you know, the, the uh, I don't know, stretch class on mind body or whatever it is you're looking for. There's ways to hack almost anything. The only thing we can't hack is time. Yeah. And so the more frictionless your experiences are across every single thing you need to do every day from like, you know, your healthcare all the way down to your grocery shopping, the more of this found time, essentially you get back or digital time. And, you know, pre-COVID, people were applying that to travel, experience, I don't know, wellness, self-care, working out, like all these things, because it's the first generation that doesn't have to wait in line to get their license renewed at the at the DMV. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a very different generation now who is no nonsense and they're not going to put up with the old way of doing things. How did you think about designing your website and your customer journey to create that frictionless experience. I mean, like I said earlier, like I loved seeing the quiz. I actually took it to see what kind of uh, bed frame I should buy. Like, How did you <laughs> think about designing things to make it easy um, for people to buy? Especially furniture. Well, That's of kind all, of tricky since people are usually used to testing it out. They're used to testing it out. So my caveat is the following. Like that is definitely a work in progress, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that we've made, we look at this every day in every way. I don't think we've made it frictionless yet but we're we're trying to um and and i think that for home furnishings um in some ways we have to act as 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 your as your decorating friend as well as your you know place to to buy the product and so to the extent we can make your choices easier right so the quiz or you can text us or email us or set up an appointment for a design consultation with us if we can help you um and you know, be your trusted friend and design advisor. Um, that, that I think is 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 one of the tools to to a frictionless experience. You know, like every other uh, e-commerce site, there's table stakes things like you know what if you don't like it, you can return it, and you have 30 days to return it because you know what, 
that's just the, that's just the name of the game today. And also we have to ship it to you for free um, because that's also the name of the game today. So there, there are things that have been um, institutionalized, I'd say by Amazon first and then adopted by everybody else that are just table stakes. And so we started out with those and, and that was, I, I think that's like 1.0 of frictionlessness um, mm-hmm. online. And then the companies that are really forward thinking are the ones that build on that on a, on a near constant basis. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's very much where we are philosophically um, and, and trying to make the UX better every day. Got it. What kind of metrics are you focusing on when you're you know, making all these iterations and trying to make the experience even better? Are there certain things you pay attention to or that you sync up with your team every week and go over? You know, a lot of it is 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 Google Analytics, and then we look at you know the the the, the Facebook metrics for the paid marketing, like all of these things. But I think you know some of the things that we look at are obviously like the the really basic ones, like bounce rate, mm-hmm. and you know. Um, one of the things that people are looking at now is is they, they call it dwell time. So how long people spend on each page, um, how in-depth they go. Um, so we look at that. We look at, you know, who who designs a piece of furniture um, and then transacts and then who abandons the cart and why. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're trying to finesse, you know, the experience all the time so that people feel they're not stuck with paralysis of choice because I think the thing about the thing about customizing is that, you know, especially if there are 16,000 different iterations you can possibly make, you might get paralyzed by choice. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the quiz is very helpful there because you may have learned that you like, you know, coastal mid-century, your favorite color is blue. Here are three patterns that you like that are foolproof for you. And then you can go from there. You can iterate from there. So you can choose, you know, a brass leg or a wood leg or whatever that works for the rest of your, your interior, but at least you've narrowed down to the extent you can as sort of algorithmically, um, what, what you like. And so I think that, I mean, all of those things are, are super important. Yeah. Yeah. I think less choices is definitely key. And especially I've seen the model where they're kind of populating an entire room for you of like, here's the whole entire bundle. So you don't even have to think about it and you can swap things in. And like you said, having someone that you can text is so like super important where you feel like you have a friend where you're like, how would this look? What do you think about this? Show me something that's similar. I think all those are yeah, really strategic. But when it comes to some of those metrics, how do you like for dwell time, for instance, do you think yeah. any of these might lead you down the wrong path based on what's happening right now with the current environment where I heard that dwell times are up, but then conversions haven't, you know, aren't maybe up at the same rate? Is there any metrics where you're like, oh, there might be, we might be reading into that the wrong way and we shouldn't maybe take a quick action based on that right now? Well, I think that's right. I think people are, are, are because they have so much time and, and content looks different from one person to the other, right? Content they like. So if you're in the middle of decorating your house, you might, you know, be on all these sites um, and because you have all of a sudden have a more disposable time at your, at your, you know, at your fingertips than you have in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think dwell time is important, but that, you know, add to cart is, is really the, is really the, the thing you want to see. And then, the, you know, the final conversion. Yep. So we look at, we look at, you know, where people are are sort of hanging out from a GA perspective and then look at the add to cart and then look at, at the conversion on that add to cart. And of course, for us, you know, the, the metrics that we want to focus on are getting from add to cart to conversion mm-hmm. um, to the extent we can. And so trying to make the, the PDP the, the, you know, and, the, and, the, and the checkout page um, as flawless as, and, and as inviting as possible to really get people to transact. I mean, 
it, sort of in front of that is as much inspiration as we can possibly um, allow people to consume, whether it's through Instagram or through Facebook ads or through whatever means, you know, to get them inspired. But really, you know, our job, especially on a site level is, is to make it so easy that why wouldn't you buy it yep. is essentially, you know, and to the extent we can, we can sort of quell your, your paralysis of choice that that's really where we're focused right now is really helping you design the space of your dreams uh, digitally. Very cool. So you just mentioned Instagram. I saw that you launched an Instagram live series called go inside. Can you speak a bit about how you're utilizing that to potentially drive sales and the strategy behind that and the kind of ROI that you've seen on that content or how you measure that? Well, I think, I think for us, part of this, you know, the interesting thing about the home furnishings business is that there are two uh, distinct consumers. There is the, you know, the, the D to C. So the, 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 you know, consumer you think about who's wants to buy a poster headboard and, and goes on and chooses their fabric, um, and, and sort of executes on that. But there's also the, the trade. And so our particular category has interior designers and many of them who at the end of the day are, are a very big part of this business. Um, and a very, very important customer to anybody in the home furnishings business because they are buying on behalf of multiple people. And if you make uh, the whole experience frictionless for them, it's not just one bed every five years. It could be five beds every month. Um, And so I think part of our Instagram strategy is really letting the rest of our community meet the interior designers that really work with our product um, not only so that they can see what what the what this community does, but also, you know, at the end of the day, we would love our interior designers to get business and to really think about this not only as a home furnishings company, but as a community that we're that we're growing um, for people who love design and who want to, you know, as we call it, live beyond the beige. Mm-hmm. And for us, that's really people who want to personalize their spaces and think about their spaces as something that is that is theirs and that is customizable in a way that it's frictionless. And so by going live with our interior designers, we're, we're introducing the world to this great community of people who can service them. Mm-hmm. Um, a little early for ROI right now, but um, if we circle back in, a, in, you know, in, a, in a little bit of time, I can let you know. That's I know good. that we just, yeah, we just lost, because data has to have like a decent subset, right? So um, we just launched a home kind of design 30 minute consultation. And that's really helpful in terms of conversion. You know, if people get you on the, on the line and, you know, walking through their spaces and really helping them, chances are, um, you know, it's, it's the, the, the kind of uh, help that they're they're looking for. So um, we find, we find that useful. Yeah. Well, how did you, or how do you think about scalability when it comes to having those one-on-one interactions with the customer and consulting them on the products and whatnot. Well, it's a, that's that's where these two things dovetail together, right? And so, if we build a really beautiful, robust design community um, that is local, right? Because every different area has a different kind of design philosophy. You know, in California, you can live indoor, outdoor. In New York, a lot less. You know, if I can if I can introduce you to a design in your area, you know, via Instagram Live and he or she is showing off some of the projects they've done. I mean, there's a good chance that you will then reach out to them and, you know, let them know that you, that you were introduced to their work on the inside. 
Um, and the rest I think is, you know, is just great for, for everybody involved because I, I mean, that's my business philosophy. I love a win, 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 right? So the customer wins there, the designer wins there and we win there. And n- not just because of a sale, but because we've made somebody's home and life better. Yeah, that's a really good strategy. I miss that, that you are partnering with the designers and having them do the consultations. That's yeah, super smart where you don't really have to worry too much about hiring a bunch of people and customer support to do it who don't really have good yeah. design principles probably. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's how we'll scale. So we're just at the kind of inception of this, but you get it, right? So that they can meet you know, Maureen Stevens on, on Thursday night or tomorrow night, you know, what if she's in new Orleans and if they love her design, they can call her up. And when she finds out that, you know, they were sent to her via the inside, then, you know, she'll, she'll most likely, I mean, hopefully, you know, use one of our upholstered beds in her next project. But even if she doesn't, you know what, if somebody gets a better interior because of something we did along the way, then I feel pretty good about that. Are these um, kind of like micro influencers and designers who are helping with these consultations? Are they starting to request metrics and wanting to see, you know, data and things that your team will have to start supporting eventually? I hope so, but not yet. Yeah, I hope. I hope. I hope that. Listen, that's part of the sort of frictionless um, post-COVID change. I think everybody is going to need need data that you know digitally driven data mm-hmm. so that they understand you know exactly what the reach is beyond the sort of traditional business models that they've had um prior to all this yep yeah i think that because of covid a lot of people are definitely putting on their entrepreneurial hats and they're going to want to see those metrics and i think it would be really interesting to have some type of leaderboard that would show, you know, which designer is doing the best and who's helping the most oh, yeah. customers and just kind of gamify it a bit. I think that'd be so much fun. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, that when you're, when you're at whatever it is, flywheel and who's like biking mm-hmm. the fastest. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No. Just, just yeah, implement yeah. that yeah. tomorrow. Easy. Stephanie, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take a note right here and, and actually <laughs> do that. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's where a lot of the world is going when it comes to gamifying certain purchases and making it more fun. So Well, when it comes to gamifying, are there any pieces of tech that you're thinking about? Because I was just playing around with Ikea's app where they have, you know, AR that you can put the product in your room, um, which was yeah really fun to play with. I was just putting like full on dressers on top of the bed and just being silly with it. But have you thought about doing that since your products are so unique? It seems like it would be really good to get them in the room where people are trying to design it. Absolutely. Yes. And in fact, we were talking to a company in, um, in Palo Alto who Ooh. is on the for, uh, yeah, on the forefront of this, probably right around the corner from you. I know neighbors. Um, yeah. And, and they are pioneering this incredible, uh, drag and drop. So essentially you can take a picture of your room and then you can dr- drag and drop furniture into it. Oh, um, and it's so well done. It's so well done that like they can tell where your window is and they can, and they, they can have a shadow underneath the furniture so that it looks you know, perfectly real. That's and so, uh, you know, inter- interestingly, a lot of the uh, technology that people use for, for gaming um, is really applicable here. Yep. And so can create a really, yeah, can create a really unique and, and kind of true to life experience. So yes, we're looking to this all the time. I think that, you know, as a, as a sort of brand spanking new startup, like we're trying to um, make sure the f- fundamentals are frictionless before we add all kinds of layers of yep. of complexity to the customer experience. So we want to make sure that, you know, it, it's really easy for you right now to go in and say like, I love the modern platform bed and I like it in polka dot and I'm going to transact. 
versus, because I think that we, we got to make sure the customer is where we are in terms of technology too. So mm-hmm. I think we're, we're taking baby steps there, but the answer is absolutely yes. Um, and all of that technology is fascinating to me. Yeah, no, completely agree. I'm definitely watching that market closely. And it seems like people are leaning heavily in, but agree that until you kind of understand how you want the customer journey to, to work and the product to work and everything, I think I, we were just talking with someone from Lenovo who was saying that after years of being in business, you have to just start killing a bunch of things because too many things build up and it starts you know, worsening the customer experience. And yep. uh, so yep. yeah, it's probably good to figure everything out first before pulling in a bunch of new trendy tools. <laughs> yeah. Like we need to have a really beautiful conversion rate, you know, indicating to us that um, the customer journey is is frictionless um, before we can, you know, start throwing pretty complex, <laughs> you know, essentially gaming ideas at them. Yeah. Yeah. And it would seem like you would yeah. need a pretty large catalog as well if you're going to develop an entire AR app for your company. I mean, people probably flip through placing furniture. I mean, at least that's what I was doing. I was like, bing, bang, bang, bang. I was putting furniture everywhere. It seems like you would need a pretty yeah. large catalog for that too. I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. And so somebody like Ikea that touches every part of your house. I mean, we're just, we're just too, we're too young to have that kind of skew count. I mean, it has to be in every single category, right? So you have to, you can't, you know, just have the dining room chairs. You have to have the dining room table too. So we'll get there. Um, we're not there today. And so I think that that's, I think that you're right. That's a very good point. Yeah. And so Ikea, it's a layup for them. Mm-hmm. It would be, you know, it's a layup for, for Wayfair as well. Yeah. Are there any kind of specific follow-ups you do with your customers to keep them coming back or to like ways that you're acquiring new customers that is maybe unique? I think design is a, what's, what's great about our category is that design is a process, right? I mean, even if you, if you hire an entire interior designer, it, it usually takes quite a while. Um, and also people are thinking about their homes in a different way than they used to. You know, it's not one of these things where it's done, you live in it and that's it. I think people are constantly upgrading or, you know, adding in seasonal elements. And so, you know, once we know, you know, you, Stephanie, are, you know, coastal mid-century, from your quiz, we can we can keep sending you design ideas. Did you just see my quiz? No, that's what that I was. <laughs> like, can you see me? <laughs> no, but, but I have a feeling. Well, first of all, I can see your personal file. <laughs> yeah. Um, from our Zoom earlier today. You mean so hoodie I, sweatshirt? I, I, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I and I also know where you are. Yeah. I know how old you are. Mm-hmm. I know where you went to school. Like, I, I can, I can. But this is all I do all day long, right? I mean, so I can pretty much figure it out. So since you are coastal mid-century, I, I would know what to send you as a follow-up. I don't know if you have outdoor space or not, but I might send you some some really cool outdoor furniture that would work with the bed you had. I will try and, 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 and assist you in decorating your space, getting the home of your dreams pretty subtly until, you know, one day you pick up the phone and say, hey, Christiane, will you just call me back because I want to do my entire living room and I will say, of course, and I will call you back and we will, you'll FaceTime me through your living room and we'll decorate it. I need but it. until then, I'm going to show you all the beautiful things you could have mm-hmm. at, might I add, very reasonable prices to, to make your space exactly the mid-century coastal dream you want it to be. That's great. Yeah, such a good, yeah. good process. So to pivot a little bit, you've written a couple books and I'd love to dive into them because they're all around everything e-commerce, it seems. And so if you want to yeah. maybe start with your most recent one or your first one, whatever one you want, I would love to hear about them. Well, so I've written three books and I'm working on two other ones right now. But the first book I wrote was called Undecorate. And it was really, um, it was really for me, the sort of watershed moment in, in design 
when I realized that the way people approach their interiors was no longer going to be that, you know, like I design it, I live in it for 25 years, my kids take a few things when I die and that's the end of it. Like I realized that people were approaching their interiors the way they, the, the way they were approaching fashion. And that's largely because for the first time ever, things like Pinterest, and that, was, that was right after Instagram launched, but you know, all of a sudden we were, we were surrounded by uh, content and media in a completely different way. So you didn't have to buy a magazine to look at a beautiful interior. You got to see it um, all day long on your, on your phone. Mm-hmm. And so what that did was, I believe, it raised the design IQ, not only of, you know, our audience in the United States, but globally. You know, all of a sudden people are interested in interiors. They're interested in design history. They're interested in all these things that they weren't before. Um, and they think about their spaces in, in a less static way. So I wrote that book. Um, and then I followed it up with a, a book called The Finer Things, which was my the sort of first encyclopedia, uh, Instagram generation encyclopedia of, of the decorative arts. And on the same vein, I'm writing right now sort of the, the Instagram generation encyclopedia of important furniture. Mm-hmm. So these ones take me a long time. Like the, it sounds the, like it. <laughs> four years to write. Yeah. Um, it's a the, big, the, big project. The, yeah. Provenance, the one I'm writing about the, about furniture right now will probably take me between two and a half and three. Wow. Um, and then I wrote, and then I wrote Frictionless, which is really my first business book. Um, because I realized that I had started a business um, out of out of college in in 2000, I grew it sort of organically for 13 years, um, and that if I had written a book at the end of that journey, it would have been useless. Like it would have been fire starting kindling at this point. Yeah. Because everything had changed, every single thing. It makes you wonder if you can rely on books these days anymore. Because I mean, especially around e-commerce, everything's yeah. moving so yeah. quick. It's like, what sources should I even? look at to stay up to date with things. It's definitely probably not a book. Yeah. But, uh, but also what, what is the, what is the, I mean, I, I sat and thought like, what is the underlying differentiator? What makes something win or something lose here? Right. And if I look at all the incumbents in my industry, but just generally, like, what is it, what's the winner or loser? And what I realized was that it, it was, it was the frictionless experience that allowed somebody get into a cat. Like it could be a, a crowd a crowded, you know, category. But if you can do it in a, in the least sort of invasive way, you will win Mm -hmm. because all people want is as few clicks as possible to get exactly what they want um, with the, with the commerce table stakes and, and have it delivered to their home. And they don't want somebody calling them up with a delivery time. They don't want, you know, 37 phone calls. They don't want to like a a helpline where nobody helps them. Like, you know, when you get into those scenarios, you're like, I'm never, I'm I'm not doing this. I'm never coming back. Yeah. Whenever someone wants to call me, I'm like, Oh, can we not like, and don't leave me a voicemail. Can you just text me, please? (laughs) Yeah. Just text me. Yeah. Or my favorite thing is Slack. Just Slack me. Yep. Slack is frictionless. I mean, it's beautiful. Um, and so experiences like that, that are, that are, I I don't know, equal parts art and science, I think is what is what is the big differentiator. And, you know, we as human people, now that we've experienced it, we want the Slack experience in every single one of every single facet of our life. Yep. Yeah. No one's going back after that. No, no. And if it's not that, then you're like, why does this suck so badly? Yeah. Um, And then you, and then you find the, you find the experience in that, you know, I don't know, that milieu that you need. And you can find it. I mean, if you can't find it today, you'll be able to find it soon. That's what every business should go after. 
all the rest of it is table stakes, right? Like, you know, fast, free delivery, great design, like you can do those things, but to do it in a frictionless way is, is what is, it's what's going to change your business or give you the competitive advantage you need to take market share. I mean, yep. that's, that's what Wayfair taught me. And when I, you know, when I sold to them and I understood how far ahead of the commerce game they were, it was amazing to me. Yeah, that's such a good experience. Was there, when yeah. you were doing your research for uh, Frictionless, was there any surprises that you found or like companies that you were following that were doing something surprising that you hadn't thought of or just a good process that you were like, oh, that's really neat. I can see why it works for them. I mean, there's so many nuggets in this, in this book. I, I, I mean, I, I find like, you, you know, I was just talking to the, to the founder of Excella. She, she does uh, gut biome and you, you know, awesome. you send in your, your, yeah, I, I mean, I'm obsessed with that, but you send in your, you know, your, your, your blood sample through the mail. I mean, the, the, the idea that we can, you know, have, have MIT science level health help digitally is amazing to me. Yeah. that's And crazy. so, you know, yeah, I mean, all of these, but, but you know what, that is going to be the outcome of this particular uh, pandemic, mm-hmm. because what we're realizing is that all of the things we thought we needed to do, like endless in-person meeting, um, we just don't need to, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I will, I will never take 60 subways in a day in New York again, to <laughs> yep. go to in-person meetings, unless they're absolutely necessary. You know, I, I'm thinking about my, my life through the lens of like the, the frictionless experience, you know, th- those things, that's, that's a lot of friction, like running around, being late, being stressed when we don't need to do it. I mean, Zoom has also changed our lives. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that I believe this, the entire world regardless of what generation you are, just got schooled in technology, right? We all just got fully immersed. Even my, you know, my 75-year-old mom in Ottawa, Canada, knows how to use Zoom now and thinks it's the greatest thing ever. You know, sometimes it takes, it takes being forced into something to realize how extraordinary it is. And now she realizes like, you know, she can have all of our grandkids all over the world on one Zoom call and everybody can talk to each other. And how amazing is that? I this mean, sounds very similar know. to my parents as well. They were teaching right, me right? how to put backgrounds on Zoom. I'm like, mom, I got it, but thank you. And, but she actually, she did send me a pretty funny article that showed how to loop a video on Zoom. So it looked like you were moving around and paying attention in a meeting, <laughs> which I guess her, <laughs> she's a teacher. So I think some of her students were doing that. They were looping themselves just moving around a few times. And then it looked like they were, yeah, really on board with the whole lesson. <laughs> so, oh my yeah. God, that's hilarious. I'm like, that's good. Thank you for sharing that wisdom. <laughs> one of the people, one of the partners that we're working with at the inside, they, in there, it's a fairly big home furnishings company and they, they are pretty sophisticated digitally and they, you know, they have a, they have a constant Zoom um, competition of who has the coolest background. And apparently somebody had some like 1980s workout video that was fantastic. Oh, last week. But they, like, these guys are, yeah, these guys are thinking about this on a near constant basis. Like your Zoom background now is a, is a reflection of who you are, how creative you are, um, you know, how digitally savvy you are. I think it's hilarious. So to zoom out a little bit, what do you think the future of online commerce looks like after the pandemic's over? Do you think things are going to shift back a bit to how they were or what kind of disruptions do you see coming down the pike? I mean, you know, people that think quote unquote, we're going back to normal. I I just don't, I think normal has changed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I I firmly believe that the companies that 
weren't thinking digitally are thinking digitally very seriously now. Because I, as I told you, you know, here I am in, in Soho, New York. It turns out when there's a pandemic, nobody lives here. Um, yes. It's they're like, you know, at, at, at five at seven o'clock at night, when we all cheer. I mean, there's now six of us on my block who I see uh-huh. every every night and everyone else is gone. Yeah. And there is one coffee shop that's open. And that coffee shop very early on had a had a, uh, a contactless app. Mm-hmm. So you could order your coffee in advance and then go and pick it up. And nobody, you know, touched anybody with gloves and a face mask on. Um, and I've gone there every single morning for the last nine weeks because I want to get out of my apartment and I want to see some of the world and yep. they have really good coffee. And across the street from them is the fanciest coffee place in New York that people die, like are diehard lovers of. And you know what? The door is closed yeah. and they never came up with the contactless app and they never figured out how to digitally bring themselves into this particular pandemic and keep their business going. And I think that that's only like a neighborhood version of what the rest of commerce is going to look like. And not only commerce, just like service as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people are going to have to think about how to pivot their particular businesses digitally as quickly as possible. Yep. Yeah. I don't think this will be the first event where businesses have to come online quickly and figure it out. And yeah, yeah. you'll definitely see the people who did do that this time and the ones who didn't. Yep. And unfortunately, the yeah, the ones that the ones some of the ones that didn't and who are waiting for things to go back to normal may not make it through this, mm-hmm. and that 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 breaks my heart because you know there are there are fairly if you you could probably scrappily do something fairly quickly, you know you have to you have to want to people people that don't that d- didn't have their you know their head in the sand is that what the ostrich does sticks their head in the ground <laughs> I think so <laughs> yeah if you you know if your if your head wasn't in the sand. And you, and you were, you know, iterating or at least pivoting during this, it's going to serve you really well on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It seems like it'll be, yeah. well, it is an environment right now where people have to learn quickly, but they'll probably look back and be like, shoo, glad I did that. And, you know, I learned yeah. and we moved at the pace that normally would have taken us maybe, you know, on a five-year roadmap, we were able to get it done in a week or two weeks. And like, yeah, yeah. we got pushed into that, but I'm sure they'll look back and be happy they did. And also look at, look, look at the very fast category adoptions. So I think like, you know, I look at the home furnishings category where I, I don't know, I, you know, between 20 and 25 people were willing to buy 25% of people, sorry, between 20 and 25% of consumers were willing to buy the category online. And I think it, it, in the last nine weeks, it went up to 60 or 70%. I mean, that is massive world-class adoption um, in a very short period of time. And I would imagine that that is universal across some of these, you know, across some of these categories. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens, you know, post the pandemic. But, you know, uh, the people that are listening to uh, the CDC won't be rushing out and shopping and going to the beach as quickly as, you know, some people will and some people won't. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that, you know, this digital adoption is going to be extended at least for 18 to 24 months, if not forever. All right, then the lightning round, which is brought to you by our friends at Salesforce Commerce Cloud, who sponsor this podcast, of course. Excellent. So this is where I, yes, they are great. They're amazing. This is where I ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Does that sound good? Sure. All right. What's up next on your reading list? What's up next on my reading list? Oh, I have a really good friend in, in New York City who just wrote a book, um, Lauren Sandler, Um her new book is called This Is All Thought, and it's uh, a new mother's search for home. And she she is a uh, investigative journalist. Um, she writes for the New Yorker and New York Times. And 
she, she actually followed a, a single mother, um, through the shelter system in New York. And it's, I've just started it. It's pretty amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. And I'm trying to think what else, what am I, what, what am I reading? That's like business related. Uh, 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 what, what is it? Uh, harder things, uh, hard thing about as, hard things. The hard thing about hard things is yep. the business book that I'm reading right now. Yep. My editor at Harper, who did fiction lists, um, also um, was the editor on Ben Horowitz's book. Yeah, oh, cool. So I got I got to read that. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that one I highly recommend. That one. Yeah, they recommend. Yeah. Yep. I think that there are probably universal truths, um, and also like we're going through hard things right now, um, yep. and I think it's people that are you know, that are accepting, um, and, and fluid in the hard things that end up being okay. Yeah, completely agree. What's up next on your podcast list? On my podcast list. Oh my God, there's so many on my <laughs> podcast list, but I'm stuck on the daily right now, mm-hmm. if I'm honest, yep. because the, because first of all, the news is so completely crazy and riveting. And also I'm obsessed with all the COVID data. Yeah. So you know, I just had the test um, because my son was was exhibiting some symptoms, and all three of us are negative. That's good. So, um, yeah, it's really good. But you know, as a parent, like the whole sort of Kawasaki manifestation of this is yep. very scary. You know, the first uh, bill of goods we got sold was that, oh, if your kids are under twenty, you're fine. I was like, great. Yep. Like, I don't care if I get it; I'll figure it out. But if my kids get it, I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And now that's not the truth at all. So, you know. I, it's, it's hard, it's hard to sort of take your ears away from the news right now. I know. Yeah. I have to, every once in a while, take a break because I have three kids under two and a half <laughs> and wow. I know it's uh, a- you're like, you're like me. <laughs> I had my, for, my kids are 21 months apart. Yeah. All right. So who do you follow in the industry or any newsletters or sources that you go to, to stay up to date on all things e-commerce? Wow. I mean, sort of, sort of everything. Um, but you know, like Crunchbase and TechCrunch and, oh yeah. And I've been watching some of the podcasts, uh, so, so some of the, uh, live stuff on extra crunch and also all the inbound newsletters and things like that, but just generally, and you know, the newspaper. Yep. Oh, newspaper. Okay. <laughs> the last harder question is what's up next for e-commerce professionals? Well, I think that everyone is going to have to become somewhat of an e-commerce professional. First of all, um, I don't think you know digital and analog are going to be two separate things anymore um, after this particular pandemic. And I think that everybody um, out there is is understanding that in a pretty profound way. You know, I think that sort of digital immersion is not only necessary. I mean, I think it's the the only way to actually to stay relevant and push your career forward. You know, part of the reason that I wrote the book was also to try and understand, um, being the parent of two children, what the future would look like for my kids. And what does that mean about, for college and all of these things? Um, because I wanted to understand, you know, 72% of people want to be entrepreneurs. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that if they think about that from a digital perspective, it's actually a pretty great place to be, right? It means you're, you know, it means you're immersing yourself into, in, 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 in kind of the, the digital aspect of things. And so I think that that, I think that it's not just, you know, e-commerce professionals. It's going to be every single professional. Um, I do think when I, when I look at the landscape, the content part of this is really important, right? Because 
you know, even when I was at Wayfair, I mean, we did content, but it wasn't merged the same way. Mm-hmm. So your AR question, I think is really important. I think that we're going to shift online for a lot of the things that we did in the analog ways before this. So if I'm an interior designer, I'm not thinking about what my career looks like when I come into your house. I'm thinking about what can I learn online so that I can do it for you from a distance, right? And I would apply that to every single aspect of every single job out there. It's really, if I have an analog job, how can I digitize that? Um, And I think everybody's going to have to think about that. I mean, look at doctors are doing it through telemedicine and, you know, designers are doing it through FaceTime and, you know, you can go down every single, you know, career. I mean, pharmacists are doing it through uh, telemedicine as well. Like one of the people that I, I, I uh, profile in the book is Eric Noir from, from Capsule in New York. And I mean, that, that's a genius business because he's delivering um, uh, everything from the drugstore, all of your you know, pharmaceutical needs, anything that your doctor has prescribed, you can get delivered to your home. And I think, you know, I haven't, I'm talking to him next week, but I think he probably crushed it in this particular um, scenario. So I think it's, you know, you're not on one side of the fence or the other. It used to be, you know, like this silo in the company does e-commerce and this one does regular commerce. I mean, I think that the, the two now are going to be forever conjoined. Yeah, that's such a good point. Completely agree. Well, this has been yeah. such a fun interview. We definitely need to have you back for round two. Where can people find out more about you and the inside and your upcoming book? Well, my upcoming book is at frictionless.pub. Um, and you can get a copy of it there. Um, it links to Amazon and Barnes and Noble and every other place to buy books. Um, the inside is theinside.com. And the rest, there's a, you know, a, an endless breadth of information on Google. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thanks yeah. so much for coming on the show. It's been such a blast. Thank you. Thanks, Stephanie. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.